0: Greetings and salutations, all you sportsmen and women out there and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. I am your humble host, Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tandawanda, New York. That's right, sportsmen and women. Welcome back to another episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you on Anchor.fm, powered by Spotify. Hey, you can get this podcast now on Amazon Music, as well as Spotify and Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Beacon, free radio, Pocket Casts, and, of course, FM. Hey folks, please help support this podcast by donating to the cause, $2 a month, $5 a month, whatever you can afford, as it helps me push back on the propaganda in the news while providing conservation news and commentary along with sound science and conservation principles. Hey, you know, speaking of commentary, it's my show, my commentary, and my opinion, and it doesn't necessarily reflect any of the official positions of organizations I may be a part of, but if it is an official position, I'm going to let you know about it and also the views expressed on this show may not reflect the views of this program sponsors and advertisers, just so we're all clear. So please folks, help spread the word, you know, this fickle spring Western New York has been uh, experiencing throughout the entire month of April, has Western New York anglers guessing from hour to hour what outerwear would be appropriate, as we seem to be on that roller coaster ride that has temperatures in the 60s one day only to tumble into the 30s and see snow the next. Easter Sunday, which was April 17th, and Dingus day Monday the 18th had snow flying in the 716 and in the eastern part of the state a winter storm raged up the East Coast dumping several inches of heavy wet snow from the Catskills up to the high peaks in the Adirondacks knocking out power to plenty of customers with downed trees and power lines putting many in the dark you know. Uh, Still the weather has begun to moderate today for instance is about up to 81 although I hear it's gonna drop back down uh, to the 40s by Wednesday. But you know the youth uh, spring turkey hunt was this weekend, and the temperatures were certainly uh, very friendly to be outside, very comfortable. Um, you know it's it's interesting that uh, they did get this nice, wonderful weather. Hopefully they they took their uh, uh, tick events uh, seriously. But you know we could be seeing some uh, you know temps down in the back you know, below freezing by mid the next week. And while we look forward to a solid spring from here on out, the waters of Lake Ontario will be a bit empty this season as Western New York's sporting community lost another icon this past week with the passing of Captain Mark Sparky McGranahan, a longtime Lake Ontario, Lower Niagara River, and Lake Erie Charter Captain and Hunting and Fishing Guide. You know, I first met Sparky at a Western New York Sport and Travel Expo down in Hamburg while launching We Love Outdoors after he noticed a picture of one of his high school pals, Mike Ostrosky, in the monster 10-point he bagged during the 2003 archery season. He became one of the first advertisers and sponsors of We Love Outdoors, and he took me out salmon fishing for my first time, hammering Big Kings in May out of Wilson Harbor. At the time, he was also doing a little writing for a local publication, the Sport and Leisure Magazine, and he asked if I would take over that column for him as he was getting a bit too busy to provide timely content to the publisher. He introduced me to a lot of people through the various charitable events like the Bass Hive Celebrity Challenge, and he really did a good job spreading the word about We Love Outdoors. And, you know, we would get together and fish and waterfowl hunt, and his dry sense of humor would always turn even the gloomiest day bright. You know, besides, you know, he was just an incredible outdoorsman, excellent charter captain, and you know, he was a lot of fun to be around. But folks didn't know that he was also one of the top chefs in Western New York, working as executive chef for Fannie's Restaurant and later E.B. Green Steakhouse at the Hilton Steakhouse at the Hilton Downtown Buffalo. Seven years ago, Sparky was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. That's one of the deadliest cancers, and it's one of the merciless forms that this disease takes. And yet he faced this foe with more courage and fortitude than I've ever seen. Uh, And it certainly did appear that he got in the upper hand on this illness, and for a while, that cancer was surprisingly knocked into remission. But shortly before this Easter, he took a turn for the worst, and he succumbed on the 17th, being called home by the good Lord to fish better, calmer waters in paradise. Sparky, you're going to be sorely missed, my friend. Godspeed until we meet again. Well, you know, the trout are still running in the Great Lakes streams, and with inland trout stocking uh, still going on, the inland game has many new anglers enjoying the sport from shore, something that hasn't escaped notice of the DEC and interested in improving shoreline fishing access uh, has fisheries personnel now conducting more survey work than ever before, focusing on shore fishing as to better buttress this somewhat overlooked aspect of angling after all a lot of attention is paid in surveying boat launches and anglers coming off the water but effort from shore is not as well gauged, uh, which will be changing this year as more shore angler survey work is done starting this year. Anglers, if someone from the DEC does approach you to ask you a few questions about your fishing experience, please take the time to speak with them, as this information will work to better justify increased expenditures in public fishing rights, expanding to more than just trout streams, and could even prove the necessary insight into stronger funding for building fishing piers and docks along many lakes and ponds not just in some sporadic places along the Great Lakes or in our neck of the Atlantic Ocean. You know crappie are still now really getting active on Chautauqua Lake and although timing the activity is pretty tricky uh, you know with this quick warm-up more fish are starting to enter those shallows and they're still feeding up pretty heavy. Uh, They're going to be entering that spawn pretty soon and it doesn't take that long for those emerging weed beds to come popping out and those fish will start hovering over those emerging weed beds to get ready to spawn throughout the month of May. And you know another update for you anglers as we get closer to May, the Town of Evans has officially awarded a bid to a local contractor for the dredging of Sturgeon Point Marina. This happening during their April 20th, 2022 board meeting. The uh, project was officially released earlier this month, but some doubt as to whether any bids would be accepted was injected by the town supervisor shortly after the conclusion of that April 6th meeting, telling local media that if a contractor can be lined up to start working on the breakwater repairs and slip reconfiguration, then the money for dredging would be saved and the marina would remain closed until repairs were complete. Well, that didn't happen, and all signs leading up to the April 20th board meeting did show that the marina was in preparation for dredging and opening this spring as town crews have been busy clearing debris and cleaning up the mess left by Old Man Winter. Realities involving construction permits not being in place, funding not being in place, and the time it will take to stage for the construction must have finally sunk in, and the board moved to award the contract, with the planned completion of dredging and opening the marina no later than May 18th, 2022, if not sooner. That's good news because, you know, both the Town of Hanover and the Sunset Bay State Marina have their launches open and rocking, and there's overflow parking, which is the current condition. Anglers are actually parking across the street at the old Lakeshore Hospital and walking to their boats down at Hanover. It's absolutely amazing. And uh You know, this overflow condition uh, was getting out for those spring perch runs, and this would be, you know, even though this is the earliest that uh, Sturgeon Point has opened in a number of years, you know, it's still a little bit late according to the contract terms, which, you know, state the opening uh, for accessibility starts from ice out or ice boom removal to first ice, and there is just absolutely a ton And I'm talking a ton of boats that are going in and out of the Cattaraugus Creek launches. And, you know, if if this town could somehow get on a cycle to where the dredging is being done, you know, before April 1st, boy, they would be making money hand over fist with the number of people that would be wanting to launch and perch fish right off of sturgeon. Because sturgeon point is the hot spot for yellow perch in our area. You know people go out of the cat, yes there are some fish right out of Cataraugus Creek but most people are running east, they're heading to Evangola State Park and they're heading east all the way up to Sturgeon Point. And you know if you can drop your boat in and get on a little bit quicker, boy that would be something that uh, you know would drive a lot of business. And uh, you know there's a lot of people that are getting you know into this perch fishing again uh, that's really an excellent renaissance and some of those perch are absolutely gigantic. and it's just a shame. But any, in any event, we are happy and thankful that this marina will be opening up by mid-May. And that'll give those uh, uh, anglers an opportunity to get out on those perch. And even though it is a little bit late uh, for the walleye opener, as walleye opens on May 1st this year, uh, and that's a little bit of a black eye for Sturgeon Point in the town of Evans as well. Meanwhile, folks, in other news, there's this record-setting run which started in 2021, and I'll tell you, it's showing no signs of letting up at all, as yet another state record has fallen, folks, this time in Tennessee, where reports indicate that angler Chad Collins has shattered the old paddlefish state record when he caught and landed a 120-pound paddlefish, also known as a shovel bill, while fishing Cherokee Lake. The fish has been officially weighed and certified as the new, ten- the new Tennessee state record by the DNR there, and they announced on their Facebook post that the fish broke the old record by 10 pounds. It measured 75 and a half inches in length and over 41 inches in girth. Congratulations, Chad, to a catch of a lifetime. And that's just absolutely fantastic. So we got more records kept keep on falling and keep on falling. And, uh, you know, that's something that is... Uh, Really, actually, a fantastic thing to see. Hopefully, we'll even see a couple more state records fall here in New York. Although we did have a couple of them set, uh, you know, in the not, you know, last year, that including the crappie record, which was an absolute giant. And you know, while we sit here today is April twenty fourth. It's a good time to remind fishermen that even though it's getting warm today, you still have to wear your life preserver, your personal flotation device, right through the end of April. Starting May 1st, you can take them off if you're over age 12. But if you're in a vessel that's 21 foot or under, you have to be wearing a life vest from uh, pretty much December 1st right on through uh, April 30th, and then you can take them off. So please, folks, avoid a ticket wear that that safety vest you know that water is cold out there you know it's 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 no more than 42 43 degrees now and although we're getting some warmer temps now you know if you fall in it's it's a real quick uh journey to hypothermia and that's never any good so just remember that until uh may 1st you have to wear your life vest from the time you step foot on the boat to the time you get off it at the launch ramp and uh you know in other uh in other uh, reports and another reminders. Um uh, you know, that we also have this uh this burn ban still going on here in New York State. So You know if you want to have a fire and it's in a fire pit that's fine but any open burning in new york state is prohibited right through the middle of may this year so just be sure you're aware of that too i know a lot of folks like to do the the spring cleanup and i don't blame you you know you clean up all that debris you just burn it you know there's no sense in having it lingering around becoming a rat's nest or whatnot but you know we're even though we have a lot of water this year uh apparently it's to you know stop brush fires and such I don't remember the last time we had any significant brush fires in New York State, but um, maybe that's because we have this burn band that comes in in the spring. And, uh, you know, if it is a dry spring, it's a, you know, ready tinder at the waiting until we get a lot of this debris cleaned up. Uh, but, you know, it is now starting to moderate. Uh, the lawns are going to be needing cutting pretty soon. And, uh, you know, you're going to be getting out... Uh, uh, turkey hunting by uh, May 1st, that's going to be a fantastic time. Just remember that, you know, you want to make sure that you realize that ticks are becoming very, very active right now. And even if you're doing your home gardening, you know, you're starting to get those gardens uncovered, you're starting to bring that sunshine in, maybe you're thinking about getting some, some fertilizer down, doing some planting. Uh, but just remember, you know, that these ticks are everywhere and you know the more wildlife we have closer to people that's really what's bringing them in it's not you know necessarily climate change folks i know a lot of people like to me- you know mention that but it's really not climate change. It's just that we have wildlife now closer to us than ever before. And you know, we got a lot of insects. This is the time of year for insects to start popping. Pretty soon it'll be the black flies that are popping folks. So you might want to stock up now on getting your uh, insect repellent. And you know, earlier this month, when we did have a a warm up that first week of April, um, we did end up having uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, moisture down in those uh, those pesky mosquitoes did come out briefly until it cooled down again so you know you'll want to stock up on your insect repellent and have it with you Uh, obviously it's not going to do you any good if you don't have it with you well folks if you hear that music that means that i've got to take my first break for the day but please don't go anywhere because we love outdoors with rich davenport will be right back And welcome back all you sportsmen and women and conservationists across New York State and the Fruited Plain to the second segment of this episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport. Coming to you from Sun Wanda New York. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful spring indeed. It's finally uh, gotten warm again. You know, I was down earlier in the day um, and down at Chautauqua Lake getting uh, the uh, winter uh, gear put away. And bringing out the summer furniture finally, you know, the last couple of years when I tried to do this in April, it snowed on me. And believe me, I'm real happy that it isn't snowing today. But, you know, it is the season uh, to start enjoying the great outdoors with parkas and, without parkas and snowsuits. And, you know, we can expect more people than ever to be outside this year as many have rediscovered the goodness of the great outdoors during this, uh, you know, COVID, COVID, COVID nightmare. And this trend really doesn't show any signs of declining anytime soon. You know, taking into effect the losses being experienced by streaming services like Netflix and perhaps more decided to turn off the boob tube and get outside and get into that fresh air and sunshine. You know, hiking and mountain biking, they're certainly a part of the outdoors recreation portfolio, especially in spring and summer. And there's been this long-standing effort to turn abandoned railroad paths into hiking trails, effectively reclaiming these corridors. And that certainly provided more opportunities for hiking and walking and trail riding across the Fruited Plain. You know, sometimes, however, these projects, you know, they may not be as appropriate as some may think. And that's really the case with this ongoing saga down in uh, West Falls, uh, New York, as a rails-to-trails project, uh, which has been being pushed for nearly 20 years now, has once again reared its ugly head after eight years of silence and inaction. Now this project, which would create a 27-mile uninterrupted trail from Lackawanna to Ellicottville, takes the old railway that's owned that or was owned by the now defunct Buffalo-Pittsburgh Railroad Company and converting that right-of-way into a continuous trail snaking through Lackawanna, Blaisdell, Orchard Park, Town of Aurora, Boston, Colden, Springville, Asheville, and terminating in Ellicottville. You know, on the surface it sounds really good and beneficial, but understanding the nature of the railway and how it cuts real close to a lot of homes and how it dissects a lot of private property in the rural areas uh, you know running between barns and homes and in some cases rolling within feet of someone's bedroom window one can start to understand the concerns shared by many rural communities and property owners not interested in having the general public suddenly tramping through their yard in close proximity to their homes their valuables, their gardens, etc. One stretch of the trail would jeopardize the existence of a very valuable and active conservation organization, the West Falls Conservation Club. The long closed railway cuts through the property bisecting where one would set up to shoot and where their targets are, be it the archery range or the Olympic Jode ranges and the trap and skeet ranges. All would need to close down if the trail holds its course of that old railway. Back when West Falls was founded, they came to an agreement with the railroad to assure safety, including shooting hours and never offering single projectile firearms target practice, such as rifle or shotgun slug sighting. Um, And they would would avoid that on the grounds that, you know, any firearm use would be trap and skeet, and it was a very acceptable solution for the railroad, and a great and long-lasting relationship ensued, benefiting both groups and the community at large, as West Falls is one of those organizations that gives back tenfold to the community they reside in. Fearing the future was in jeopardy, the leadership of West Falls, led by the president at the time, Jack Boken, engaged with the Rails to Trails organizers and project managers to seek a solution that would allow the trail, while assuring no impacts to the range or club operations, would exist. And there were some gentlemen's agreements reached, but drawing up an agreeable legal binding document has been a challenge and yet to be realized. And this is just one part of the trail, but West Falls being the good neighbor they are and seeing potential value of the trail project for outdoors recreation, they decided to remain neutral concerning the project and rather working to ensure that their club and community programs would continue uninhibited. Other towns, however, had a different take, and passed resolutions in opposition to this project, citing the insane costs, private property issues, quality of life issues for the rural residents wanting privacy, property devaluation, potentials for increased crime, and enforcement issues, considering law enforcement in these towns is done by the Erie County Sheriff, with few cars too spread out to effectively police trails and bad actors. In fact, around 2013 or 2014, the towns of Boston, Orchard Park, Colden, and Aurora all enacted resolutions blocking the project from going through their respective towns, and the project really has been in limbo ever since. Now, Assemblyman Dave DiPietro, who represents the 147th Assembly District, which includes the town of Aurora and Colden, Orchard Park, Boston, etc., and other areas um, where this trail will cut through, addressed the Erie County Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs during their April General Meeting held at West Falls Conservation, and he described his first encounter with the Rails to Trails project coordinators when he first ran for assembly. And he described that meeting, unfortunately, as less than genuine on the part of the rails to trail people. They happily greeted him, offered to donate to his campaign, and asked for him to join the ranks of those who supported this project, claiming everyone was on board, and no one opposed the project moving forward. However, just a little questioning revealed those claims were not real true, and in fact many were opposed to this project due to private property rights and privacy concerns, safety, law enforcement, devaluation of properties, and how this trail would negatively impact the quality of life for those property owners that would be impacted. And again, the towns of Colden and Boston, Orchard Park and Aurora all passed resolutions in opposition. With Colden actually starting the the ball of rolling, you know, voicing concerns about this and raising the alarm bells back as early as 2007. Well, after eight years of silence, and what some believed as an abandoning of this project, the gaggle of folks is back in full force with the usual unsubstantiated claims about economic impact. There won't be any folk except for property values dropping. Mischaracterization of project support, again claiming everyone supports it and the support hasn't changed. And this time, they've even added that West Falls and the Rails to Trail group have an agreement in place, which the only way you can characterize that is as a lie. They do not have an agreement in place despite years of trying to craft the right language that will protect the club and reroute the trail as to keep the public away from the shooting ranges. Di Pietro suggested that this resurrection was a result of the last town board election, where the village of East Aurora outvoted the rest of the town and elected a majority of Democrats to the town board. And these are the folks that have resurrected the project, even suggesting they work to reverse their official opposition, chucking their residents under the bus in favor of the promise of taxpayer-funded grants to grease the palms of politicians and their cronies who stand to benefit from the construction projects. Yet honestly folks no public benefit exists for this project and this area you know being rural as it is has more parks and public trails to enjoy in and around each and every township that really makes the necessity for yet another trail a redundant waste of money and resources. Now I heard that on Monday tomorrow April 25th at 6 o'clock a public hearing will be held at the Aurora Town Hall in East Aurora to hear more about this issue. The project people are once again claiming this is a done deal and nothing anyone can do about it, which is yet another lie. In fact, the towns objecting to this can readily stop this from happening as well as concerned landholders in the impacted towns, not only once again expressing their demands that the towns remain opposed, but also have the towns communicate this position strongly to the federal governing body, the Surface Transportation Board in Washington, D.C. You see, railroads and the right-of-ways were established by the federal government during the 1800s when expansion of the railroads were necessary for the the growth of the nation. It was the federal government that seized these properties via eminent domain for the railways to be laid, and that land is effectively owned by the feds on behalf of the railroad companies that built and operated the railways. However, those companies have long vanished, and yet the land remains under railroad control via the federal government and the STB the rails to trails projects are administered by the the surface transportation board approving projects that do not cause conflict or issue notifying this board of the problems should end this project once and for all and now that assemblyman DiPietro has been enlightened to the back-end processes that enable rails to trails projects a potential end is now in sight to this sorry saga of deception and private property rights usurpations. You know make no mistake You know, having a a railway, an old rail bed converted to a hiking trail or a walking or bicycle trail in suburban and urban areas is a great idea as it does provide necessary recreation and exercise to the residents there. But when you get out into the rural areas where you have plenty of places to hike and, and, uh, you know, trail ride. Uh, and there are plenty of parks and there's, there's plenty of uh, opportunity that abounds, it doesn't make sense to spend that money to add yet another hiking trail that no one's going to be traveling to, to, to actually visit. It'll be benefiting just a few people in the towns and those people won't be the ones that are impacted the most, the property owners that live next door to it. Now, if the folks from Ellicottville to Springville want a trail, that's fine. There's no real issues and conflicts that exist with that portion of the railway, and if Lackawanna and Blaisdell want a trail, hey, that's fine too. As that stretch, you know, may offer some excellent opportunity for those people living in that, um, you know, near rural suburb, that last ring suburban area, if you will. But Orchard Park to Springville and the towns all along the way, hands off. Too many property owners and the West Falls Conservation Club would be in jeopardy which is not really a benefit to anyone except the cronies that would get rich on this destination and on this destruction um, you know they're trying to do another end around folks and shove this project down the throats real quick and acting within 30 days so it's real important that you know if you want to step up and you're in that impacted area don't let somebody who doesn't live there tell you what to do you know, step up and stand up for your rights because that's what these places are there for and that's what your right is as an American citizen. Stand up, write a letter, and tell the Surface Transportation Board what for. And if you're interested in writing to the STB, the address is Surface Transportation Board, 395 E Street, Southwest. That's in Washington, D.C., with a zip code of 20423. You can address your letters to Chairman Martin Oberman. And members Patrick Fuchs, Michelle Schultz, Robert Primus, and Karen Headland. You can also visit stb.gov and get all this information. And you can also get email links if you wish to send emails too. There's also the phone number that's listed. You can make up a, a phone call. But once again, I would, I would really recommend you take the time to write a letter. But don't wait forever. You want to write that letter and address it to the Surface Transportation Board, 395 E Street, Southwest, Washington, DC, 20423. And you know, have the subject matter rails to trails concerns and uh, you know don't wait again this is your right to do and uh, step up for if you're in Colden and you're in uh, uh, Aurora and you're in uh, uh, Orchard Park these places you know and, and, and obviously Boston too the town of Boston uh, you know again sometimes these are really good projects and sometimes there's something else going on um you know if you look at the money and follow the money that's really what's being chased after it's not something that'll help you and give you a better quality of life that's for darn sure um, you know, too many people nowadays uh, just go with the flow, and I don't understand why they're resurrecting this after eight years of uh, no movement. Um, it's something that really isn't needed, and, and not a whole lot of people outside of the suburbs use these uh, trails to begin with, and they don't travel very far to use them. If they can't roll out of bed and they go out and, and take their walk or maybe walk their dog, uh, you know, it doesn't bring a lot of uh, economic impact besides maybe a couple bottles of water. I don't even think it's going to get you a tank of gas. Uh, but there you have it, folks. Uh, they're trying to push once again and take away your property rights. Uh, and just another example of of you know Big Brother stepping in and pushing on those small property owners in these towns um, that I'm sure you know may even be be getting dangled some lease money or some some project special project money from them. Who knows? Well, folks, there's that music again, and that means that the fastest podcast in history has got to take its second break of the day. But don't go anywhere, folks. Stretch your legs. Get a cup of coffee because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport. We'll be right back. And welcome back all you sportsmen and women and conservationists out there to the third segment of this episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport coming to you on Anchor.fm powered by Spotify. Hey folks, you know, it's it's once again, it's spring, it's the end of April. This is the last show for April, folks. The next one's going to be coming up on May 1st, so you know and that's uh um, you know that's that's apropos because we're going to talk a little turkey right now and uh, you know the youth spring turkey hunt just c- concluded earlier today uh, a lot of uh, birds are, are being seen and uh, you know I'm seeing some exciting stories being told on social media of birds that are that are on roost and that are you know certainly active and putting together their harems uh, so it really should be an interesting opening day there's another week to go uh, but it really it promises to be a good one, probably better than in the recent memory, uh, as more birds are actually being seen by people now on um, the you know provided they don 't do their houdini right on April thirtieth right um Hunters will now turn their attention to that spring opener. But, you know, I'm kind of paranoid about ticks. I may get out there, but, you know, I'm one of those guys that that I pay close attention to my tick defense. And I really hope a lot of hunters will do the same this year because we've got a lot of active ticks that are out there. And, you know, western New York does have a significant Lyme disease issue with the high number of black leg ticks that we have. They're also known commonly as deer ticks. But that's not the only malady that's out there, you know, with deer ticks and Lyme disease. Um, There's a lot of different pathogens and another one that's emerging uh, is is another one that's carried by a species of tick known as the lone star tick, which has expanded its range over its past 40 years or so as more wildlife moves and they come in contact with different uh, uh, insects and they march their way up north. Uh, so we now do have Lone Star ticks that are in the New York State range here, um, especially in the southern range. Uh, the Adirondack, they're pretty darn rare, but they're starting to get a little more common now, and they're a bigger tick, and they have this uh, very distinctive uh, white mark on their back that you know some people think looks like the state of Texas. Uh, and so that's really characteristic of the adults, and it's easy to, to identify them. They're a little bit larger than the black-laid tick, so they're, they're a little bit easier to spot. But, you know, the CDC is warning, folks, that one bite from this Lone Star tick could, you know, deliver an ailment that could change your life forever. And they're talking about this allergy that they're calling Alpha-Gal Syndrome, which is an allergy developed to red meat as this contains um, you know, molecules called uh, galactose alpha-1,3-galactose. It's a carbohydrate. It's found in most mammalian or red meat. Uh, and this lone star tick, which is a common parasitic arachnid found in the south that's noted for that white mark on its back, um, it picks up that alpha-gal molecule from its top food source that's chiefly cows and sheep and then transfers this to humans after a bite, according to the Mayo Clinic once bitten, uh, and this can happen after just one bite, but usually after several bites from an affected tick, uh, the individual becomes sensitized where the immune system produces antibodies against the alpha-gal, which is resulting in allergic reactions, uh, not only to a fine steak dinner, but also future tick bites that are, you know, have this uh, 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 carbohydrate molecule and even some medications that contain alpha-gal as an ingredient. Now, unlike most food allergies which typically flare up shortly after contacting or consuming the histamine producing substance an alpha-gal reaction is typically delayed often surfacing several hours after you've consumed your meal which makes it pretty difficult to actually diagnose and even dawn on you that it could be a food allergy that's causing your rash or whatever the outbreak may be. Now researchers um, Dr. Thomas Platts Mills who made the original discovery that this meat allergy was caused by this alpha-gal uh, uh, related allergy it all started with the cancer drug drug cetuximib and this this cetuximib uh, has the alpha-gal uh, uh, carbohydrate uh, this molecule is part of its ingredients and the year it was released it became obvious that some patients were having bad reactions to it especially in, in the areas of Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, southern Missouri and eastern Oklahoma. Again this is according to Dr. Thomas Platts Mills. He proved if patients had the type of antibody that is well known to be related to allergies known as IgE, to the cancer drug before taking it they were 30 times more likely to have an allergic reaction to it and he also discovered with his team that these antibodies were binding to alpha-gal in patients who suffered delayed allergic reactions to red meat that's according to a 2017 news release. Now while working with fellow Dr. Jake Hosen who was researching other diseases that fit a geographical pattern identical to the alpha-gal allergies only one match really was found the Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is also transmitted by the Lone Star Tick. So these doctors began asking patients if they noticed the allergy symptoms after, you know, getting, being bitten by the tick. And that information led to the conclusion that some people, once bitten by the Lone Star Tick, you know, developed this allergy to red meat, which is a strong immune response to that Alpha-Gal molecule after eating beef or pork or lamb and even venison and rabbit, believe it or not. Now symptoms range from mild to severe reactions from an itchy rash or hives to difficulty breathing and swelling of the lips or tongue that can require immediate emergency care. And recent studies suggest some patients with unexplained yet frequent anaphylaxis may have an undiagnosed alpha-gal syndrome condition. Wow. Now It's critically important to understand that there is no cure that exists for an alpha-gal allergy, which means prevention is key to avoiding this latest tick-borne malady. I know I harp on this being the tick-paranoid guy that I am, but, you know, such illnesses like this are forever, and they alter your life forever. And it's not in a good way. You know, it's certainly not like winning the lottery. Your best defense against these illnesses and pathogens is prevention and that top weapon in your toolbox is permethrin which kills ticks on contact and is used by spraying down your outerwear liberally with this substance and allowing it to fully dry before heading a field. Spray your boots, your pants, your bibs, your jackets, gloves, hats, even your socks and sweatshirts a good day before you intend to head a field and this protection will last up to six weeks or through six washings. You know, if you're a camper, you can also treat your tent, your sleeping bag, your pillow, and any other fabric that may encounter ticks, you'll get the same protection on it. It's advised to use products that contain at least 5% permethrin for the effects to be delivered. And I recommend Sawyer's brand as it works very, very well and with the most available size being enough to treat full, uh, two full outerwear outfits. Um, The substance is really harmless to people and pets once it's dry, but before it dries it can be very harmful to cats. I recommend that you hang your outerwear in the garage up and away from easy contact by pets until fully dried. Spray it down and then you know give it a day and when it's dry you're ready to go. It's also important to know that permethrin is deadly to fish as well as those molecules will bind to their gills causing suffocation. Now permethrin does not protect exposed skin be sure you understand that and if you're you know got you're out there you know you want to be sure to use a repellent on your skin to keep ticks off your skin as well and you know deep based repellents like Off or Repel or Cutter will work but they have an odor to them and a better tick protection repellent is actually picaridin which is also relatively scent free and will offer up to eight hours of protection and since nothing is 100% effective, it is advisable to be sure you check yourself for ticks paying attention to your armpits, hairlines, groin area, any place that offers some hiding away from light and if you do find a tick on you, remove it immediately. If it's bitten you and it's lodged in your skin, use a fine point tweezers, grasp the insect as close to the skin as possible and pull straight up uh, vertically away and ensure that you get the entire tick and not leave its head behind. You know these repellents they work on all species of ticks by the way including the permethrin not just the deer ticks or the lone star ticks. So you know we do have several species of ticks in New York State and there's a, a whole bunch of different illnesses and maladies that are passed by a tick bite. You know they're one of the, the worst parasites that we have out there um, and you know especially with the Lyme disease if you don't catch it in time that can become chronic and it's with you forever so you know you don't want this alpha-gal allergy or otherwise you're not going to be able to eat red meat you're going to be relegated to chicken for the rest of your life and although I love chicken as much as the next guy I love a steak too and I just wouldn't I I couldn't even imagine uh, not being able to eat my harvest uh, you know just just on account of these, uh, these ticks and a tick bite but a little bit of diligence beforehand really really is you know goes a long way and you know, since that lone star tick has been confirmed in western New York, although nowhere near in the abundance as the deer tick, it is smart to take these precautions before heading out hiking, or turkey hunting, or camping, or even working in your garden. You know, the more wildlife we have in close proximity to our homes, that's bringing these ticks closer to us. Again, it's not climate change that's doing it, this is the natural movement of wild animals. And it's, it's popular to blame climate change because that's the popular catch-all phrase for everything that's perceived as bad nowadays. But more wildlife in close proximity to people is what's truly driving the rain, range expansions and higher incidences of people being bitten by ticks. You know, you can, uh, there are a number of different uh, services out there, you know, Joe Mosquito comes to mind, but there's a few others that, you know, are in the business of treating your backyards for various pests and obviously the mosquito treatment gets most of the press, but they will also be able to treat your yard for ticks and check and see if you have a tick infestation in your yard. Uh, you know they're, they're blind fortunately but they hang under uh, the underside of green plants and grasses and such and they've got their, their legs sitting out just waiting for something to brush by and latch onto. And they really are drawn by carbon dioxide. So you know, warm blooded creatures do exhale carbon dioxide and when they detect that they're going to move towards that source. You know a lot of people will test for it by taking some dry ice and putting it in a bucket and letting that naturally sublime into the gas and as you know this happens ticks will climb up the bucket or they will fall into the bucket um, in their pursuit of this uh, carbon dioxide because that's the promise of what they feed on an oxygen rich red blood cell um you know hemoglobin blood type uh, any type in the world but red blood they love it they'll engorge themselves on it they can you know fill themselves up to 10 or 14 times their size um they get really big and then they drop off and you know they will be carried by rodents predominantly um we've got a lot of mice and especially a lot of rats now in the suburban and urban areas and these creatures are living in the grasses they're picking up these uh these uh, ticks just the same and you know your dogs too your pets you know that's one of the the vectors of of transfer uh, that really is overlooked a lot of people don't like to talk about it but when you let your pet run through a field they're bound to pick up ticks and you really need to check your dog and hopefully you have them on a regimen of some sort of a tick and flea repellent um, either something that 's ingested every thirty days or a flea or tick collar, something that 's going to keep these animals these insects off of them because you know Lyme disease and and other diseases can hit your dog or your cat just as well as they can hit you and you know if you bring your dog or cat inside after they 've been running around in you know tick infested fields they 're bringing that you know threat right into your home, and you know they can just you know live into your furniture and so long as they can get some food. Uh, you know They can last a while and they can reproduce and cause an infestation in your home and that 's not a very good thing either. so you know make sure if you 're taking your pets out, check them for ticks as well, and uh, you know make sure that you do have them on a regimen to keep them as free from fleas and ticks and other uh, you know insects like chiggers that can bring uh, parasites and pathogens right into your home and threaten the, you know, the health of you and even worse your children. You know, that's something that nobody wants to see happen. And, uh, you know, you can avoid it very simply by being a little bit diligent when you come back in from the great outdoors. Well, folks, you hear that music. That's right. Three segments are now in the can. And the fastest podcast in history is taking its final break of the day. But don't go anywhere, folks, because we love outdoors with Rich Davenport's going to be right back. And welcome back, all you sportsmen and women, and conservationists across New York State and the fruited plain, to the final segment of this week's episode of We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport, coming to you from sunny Tondawanda, New York. Hey, folks, uh, you know this week is the week that we get treated to that heavy dose of climate alarmism. You know, while I was talking about climate change in the last segment, you know, this is the heavy dose. Of climate alarmism and eco-shaming is friday marked earth day and this coming friday is arbor day and everyone uh that likes to push the climate crisis uses this week to harangue everyone else that they perceive hasn't gotten their fanatical and farcical beliefs that man is causing earth's climate to alter although true science continues to prove that the earth is dynamic constantly changing and man has nothing to do with that nor does any other creature for that matter, and it certainly isn't the problems caused by carbon dioxide. We still get the heavy on emotion nonsense that suppresses thought and logic with anger and resulting fear acting as the enforcer. Well, folks, NOAA released very recently the bad news to the climate alarmists that global temperatures haven't continued to rise as claimed, rather has dropped for the past seven years releasing data that indicates the net zero goals uh, for carbon dioxide and rules must be rethought since the, Polaris, uh, the Paris accord was introduced. According to the data released by NOAA in April 2022 it shows that over uh, the years up to 2015 a trend of global temperatures was rising 1.2 degrees uh, Fahrenheit per century. However since that time, the calculated trend starting in 2016 to the end of March 2022 shows a trend of temperatures dropping over 41 degrees Fahrenheit per century coming up. I mean, obviously that's not going to be the case, but there is a stark drop in average temperatures globally for the last almost 10 years, and you're not hearing much about that. But you are hearing about, oh my God, we've got to act now, it's a climate crisis, right? Yeah, rush, 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 don't look at the data. Now these models are are what they are and yet the same models are used to construct the Paris Climate Accord and now so the models are saying it's going to be the other way and pretty severe and there is language in the Climate Accord that requires five year reviews of the Accord and the goals. That was included in it so hopefully they'll actually read the uh, Accord and actually live up to it. I doubt it. Well, it appears the net zero carbon emissions based on stopping global warming must be rethought. And as we dig deeper into the numbers, the trends aren't just happening in the United States, of course, but we have the most accurate instrumentation on the globe. It is happening globally. The planet is cooling, not warming, and which is all part of this ever-changing planet, the solar system, and indeed the universe. But we still have slow learners or more accurately, entrenched ideologues always rushing to have their ideas implemented through crisis, fear, and emotion, while attempting to stifle debate by claiming anyone questioning their crackpot notions as being science deniers, which is kind of funny and is actually psychological projection, as science is all about questioning, not lockstep ardent belief of groupthink. And they themselves actually are the deniers of science, as they don't want science to expose their make-believe and communistic ends. They just want you to uh, fall in line, and they're basically saying, we're the science, if you don't believe us, you obviously are bad. It's, it's absolute folly. Now, New York had a fit of super stupid that was injected into the 2022 23 budget that would have banned all appliances that use natural gas from sale in New York, which would have included natural gas furnaces, hot water tanks and boilers, and stoves and ovens that use natural gas. In other words, dryers would have to, um, you know, New Yorkers would have to shop in PA um, or other less stupid states to replace that broken natural gas dryer. And that hot water appliance. And that would have begun starting January 1, 2023. That was cut out of the budget, thank God. But New York City, you know, they've already moved to ban natural gas use and new construction projects and remodels, even for cooking forcing an already strapped for electrical energy city to use more electrical energy despite not being able to meet their own load demands without massive importation of electrical energy and massive diversions from upstate communities to the downstate abyss. Meanwhile, rare earth metals are now becoming more scarce in supply. And with the increased demand for lithium batteries for electric vehicles and energy storage devices, prices now are rising to the point of becoming very cost prohibitive, if they weren't already, right? Uh, not to mention, the greenies now are screaming about mining practices needing more regulation, which will make lithium and other important renewable minerals even more expensive. And through them being scarce because not a lot of people want to afford these additional regulations. It's absolutely brilliant. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. And what about the claim benefits, right? Well, it appears more damage is being done, especially to our birds, through destructive offshore wind factories popping up across the globe. That was first thought possible. You know, Scotland, a nation that's now surrounded by offshore wind turbines, has begun to reevaluate the offshore wind push, if they as they have found a much higher degree of damage and mortality than they were originally led to believe by developers five years ago. In recent reports that were released by Scotland's Marine Directorate, yet they were suppressed from any media reporting, a full appraisal of habitat-protecting regulations must be done and updated to account for this massive growth in offshore wind developments. Now, these are some excerpts from the report, which was actually started to be revealed in 2017, but now people are really starting to point to this and say, hey, why aren't we doing this five years removed? You can get this report. It's available at www.gov.scot, S-C-O-T. And this thing states, quote, mortality is probably the most well-documented effect on wildlife occurring when flying birds and bats collide with wind turbines. Additionally, when placed in natural or semi-natural habitats, infrastructures associated with the wind industry modify the landscape and also the aerial landscape, promoting habitat loss and fragmentation, and may alter species behavior, potentially leading to multiple ecological impacts and ultimately population-level effects. Seabed habitat important to foraging seabirds and their prey may be lost as a result of the installation of cables and devices. Similar temporary losses of habitat will also occur during decommissioning. The risk and magnitude of such direct effects on the seabed habitats will be dependent on a range of factors such as habitat type, the extent of habitat affected, the location and the nature of activities, and whether they are temporary or permanent. Although the direct loss of terrestrial habitats as a result of cable installation or any landside infrastructure works also poses a risk, the potential effects from terrestrial development are outside the scope of the plan level HRA. The loss of breeding habitat within any European Ramsar site would result in a significant likely to be more detrimental than any loss of foraging habitat. Wintering seabird species, such as the bar-tailed godwit, purple sandpiper, turnstone, ringed plover, and sanderling, may also be affected by any loss of intertidal habitat due to onshore activities, such as cable routing, associated with the scheme. Wow. But while experienced governments are now calling into question the efficacy and damage being done by these ineffective power plants, New York's communists in charge of the Democrat Party seem to want to double down on these schemes, but have gone strangely quiet as we approach Election Day, probably knowing this issue could add to the shellacking that's coming up. However, saner minds are working to try and stop this headlong rush to destruction, such as Congressman Chris Jacobs, who is introducing legislation long sought by conservationists and wildlife defenders calling for a full defunding of offshore wind development from the federal government, as it has now been recognized as a waste of money, provides no public benefit, and the federal government ought not be party to marine destruction the loss of the subsidies would end this development push immediately and we can hope this only gets traction and it becomes bipartisan. Now just remember the games that are being played are right now wide open and easily identified if you've been paying attention. Case in point, Back in April 2019, Town of Evans supervisor Mary Hosler blew the whistle on Diamond Wind Energy, a subsidiary of Mitsubishi Heavy Industry, who solicited a meeting with the town to discuss the resurrection of offshore wind turbines in Lake Erie, setting in motion the project—a process once again to get a project approved and built in our waters of life. Now, with Hansi Andy at the helm and his massive efforts to deny New Yorkers their voice in all of this through amendments to Article Ten known as ninety four C buried in the New York State budget, of course, the moves were largely symbolic as the push was going to be a foregone conclusion New yorkers um, you know were were basically uh, uh being told that yeah we'll we'll tell you about it but you're not going to have a choice other than exactly where we're going to put it in the lake but we're putting them in the lake uh, fortunately for the defenders of our waters of life, the arrogance of Diamond Wind forced them to also issue a request for an interconnection project with the New York Independent Systems operators that was submitted that same April, seeking interconnects for their wind factory to two grid interconnects in the Buffalo Harbor, a 200 megawatt and a 300 megawatt connection, and a third interconnect in Dunkirk Harbor, also a 300 megawatt connection, with the projects listing in the internet interconnect. Project Q published and updated monthly by New York independent systems operators but how could this be I mean not a single project solicitation for Great Lakes offshore wind had been issued by NYSERDA in 2019 and even the new Ors entity had no mention of this being in play and of course politicians like State Senator Sean Ryan used this lack of published solicitations to play dumb although there's question of is he really playing dumb Uh, And, you know, he was dumb to the moves, and every Democrat took that official position, even with their allies supporting the folly, claiming wait for the science, and a propaganda program was being ramped up in the background by Sierra Club to support this idea that no one supports. Now, when Hansie Andy was forced from office, Hochul, while playing dumb, decided to lend her political machine to making phone calls soliciting support, as did Crystal People Stokes, with the game being as plain as day. See, if you supported the wind turbines, they'll contact you and connect you with the government off, uh, governor's office immediately so you can tell them. And, of course, if you were opposed, they said goodbye. So that would allow only favorable responses to be collected, allowing for the claims from the politicians that everyone supports this. There's no opposition. Uh-huh. While stating any opposition is premature, we have to wait for the science. You like that doublespeak? Well, that little listing in the interconnection project queue request that betrayed the real push which was being set up to ramrod this project under cover of darkness make no mistake about it but it's too bad yours truly spotted the project listings before a project was solicited which forced a withdrawal of those requests with all three of those requests being pulled by march 31st 2021 however Um, This exposure is still a great and terrible blow to the idea and pushing this folly as it clearly shows these folks can't be trusted and will do anything to get that money as it's not about electrical energy. Now you can secure this Microsoft Excel workbook by visiting NYISO.com and searching on Interconnection Queue. The document contains two worksheets, one for active projects in the queue and one for canceled withdrawn requests. If you can, uh, you know, get that and find that, you can download that sheet and you can open it up and, uh, you know, you can actually um, see these requests um, as on on the uh, canceled request on that worksheet. Those are found in rows 812 to 814. Please note that the document is updated monthly. The file name doesn't change, but, you know, you can save it as a different name and keep a running tally. You know, the politicians are silent right now, but we need to make this an election issue and make sure that you vote to protect our lakes come election day because we have the power right now. But if they hold serve, you can bet they're going to come at it full force. Well, folks. That music does mean that my time for this week is done, and We Love Outdoors with Rich Davenport has got another episode in the can. But, hey, folks, it's been great, uh, great talking with you, and, you know, please have kind memories and, and, and say a prayer for uh, Sparky McGranahan's loved ones as they go through this time of uh, grief. And, you know, folks, I'm going to be with you next week, same bat time, same bat channel. God bless.